You're listening to Piece by Piece. I'm Jude Hill, and this is a space for us all to get curious together about those who are pushing on against all the odds to build peace. What sparks them? What keeps them going? What have they personally lost along the way? But what have they salvaged and discovered? What's working and not working when it comes to reconciliation? And are we ready yet to put words to some of our most difficult stories? In each episode, we get to hear from someone who is actively pursuing peace. We listen in as they share honestly about complex journeys. And we'll try to reflect piece by piece, story by story on how peace is really doing. For this chat, I was joined live on stage at the Dunkerne Arts Centre in North Belfast by Megan Fair. Megan is an all-round activist and justice campaigner and just a brilliant human being. She's a programme coordinator for Invisible Traffic and a member of the Stop the Attacks group that aims to spotlight and challenge the injustices of paramilitary assaults and control. She's also part of an amazing community in North Antrim called Origin that runs a farm and wellbeing space providing home and belonging for all sorts of people and animals. Thanks so much to you out there for listening in to Piece by Piece. This conversation with Megan was recorded at the end of the year in front of a live audience. Megan, we go back a long way. We've had so many chats along the way, but never with microphones. No, never. So this is possibly dangerous. Yeah. Very. <laughs> <laughs> but here we go. And thanks to our live audience today for being part of this conversation that's about to unfold. <laughs> Megan, each episode of Piece by Piece, I start with the same question. And that is, where in your life feels a space of home and belonging for you? And are you able to put into words what you feel when you're in that space? Yeah, I suppose my like home and belonging is in two worlds. I was chatting to a few of the audience members about how I'm a Lower Falls girl at heart. Um, and that's not my accent. I'm a country girl, actually. But I do feel at home. I feel I feel a place in, in those community spaces, in chaos with young people, trying to figure out... Um, you know, just trying to figure out the complexities of human trafficking with young people is a, is a place I feel at home. When things are going wrong in a youth set, setting where there's somebody's fighting somebody else and, and, you know, there's a tornado of chaos, that's where I feel at home. But I also feel at home walking my dog in the middle of nowhere. Um, I feel at home on the community farm that you mentioned um, with my two goats, Bart and Benji, full names Bartholomew Wolfgang Amadeus and Benjamin Vanessa <laughs> Mateo. Um, I get banned from naming any more animals after that, so um, <laughs> because of those long names. But yeah, I feel at home in a couple of spaces, and the home is kind of, yeah, it's, it's very fluid for me, and peace is, is something, places of peace are very fluid for me as well. And what do you feel like when you, when you find those spaces? Um, belonging, I feel belonging, I feel seen, um, I feel especially with my, my little goats and I'm caring for them or the ducklings that are just been, you know, born or um, harvesting vegetables, doing something completely different to my day-to-day -day life. I feel completely just just home, peace. Um, 
I feel like I can decompress, I can be whoever I want to be and I'm accepted and loved in that space. And with chaos, with young people, I feel I feel like I'm part of it because I am a bit chaotic and I also have that, you know, every youth worker, I think it's a, I don't know whether it's a learned skill or just part of the trade, you're, you're a wee bit, you know, you're just like comfortable in chaos, there's something about it. And that sense of belonging, comfort piece that you talk about is obviously something that you bring into your work and you've talked a lot about bringing that to other people into communities this morning. Can you remember when you were first awakened to the need to to really help be part of bringing that to, to people into communities here? What, yeah. what awakened you? Um, I think I, I, I kind of was, I was part of a conversation with some friends about human trafficking and that that's my that's my area that I, I'm passionate about and as everyone knows who's here and um, that's my job as well I'm lucky enough to have my passion and my job align um, and about I don't know when I was about 17 I was in this conversation with people about human trafficking and thinking this is horrendous like how does this happen does this happen here and having this revelation of how it happens here and, and what it looks like and joining an activism group um, to fight against and raise awareness of human trafficking. Um, and then when I was 22, um, I went to Cambodia um, to work with children who were being trafficked or at risk of being trafficked on the streets of um, Phnom Penh. And the, the issues that we had seen as a, as a group of, of young women um, were just so apparent. Um, we're just in your face. Human trafficking in Northern Ireland is very secretive and behind closed doors or, or a status symbol in communities. But in Cambodia, you know, the price of a child is negotiated in the street. So that actually, um, and negotiated by their parents as well. So that was something that actually broke me um, as a person and broke my heart and then made me realise you know what, this is happening at home too. This can't just be happening here. Realising it's happening at home, but it's maybe just looks different. It's dressed up different, but it's the same issue, same global issue. So I then felt passionate about raising as much awareness as possible. Um, I felt a bit traumatised first, and then that then led to anger, which led to action, um, which is a lot of my life journey of anger, then action, outraged about things, mm. and then propelling that, using that rage as my fuel um, to go forward. Part of Piece by Piece is trying to help us as a society put words to stories that we get stuck on, um, big picture, but also in our own lives as well. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about a story of real challenge in your own life that you've overcome or recycled that, that contributes to this, this passion that you bring into this area of work? Um, I think the most simplistic, well, not simplistic, complicated and simple thing that I could say is the challenge of being alive. You know, I find, I, sometimes I find that very difficult. And as a teenager and as a young person, I find that very difficult. Um, struggling with depression and suicidal idealization and all of that stuff. And um, people who meet me say I'm so bubbly and I'm so this, that and the other and, and put that on me. But actually, the challenge of being alive is quite difficult. Um, and that's then something that I, I can go, I'll just go full speed the opposite direction into radical hope. So I bring that to young people who are telling me about things, about wanting to, wanting to not be alive anymore, wanting to um, disappear. That's a common theme in my life, that feeling of wanting to disappear. Um, so I actually can bring that knowledge as personal experience and say, you know what, there's hope and this is what hope looks like. Hope looks like um, finding a passion and fighting against things. Hope looks like, you know, um, actually 
speaking your truth, speaking truth to power and saying those things matter and, and helping change your community and your the society and, and letting people recognise you and letting you take up space. So that would be the kind of easiest and most difficult answer mm. um, because nobody wants to think about the bubbly girl that's, you know, struggled with all these things. But that's what makes me so impassioned in my work because we have a right to life. We have a right to, you know, children are human beings. They're not human becomings. Um, and they have a right to, to exist and take up space in this life. And I want to just pour that over them and say, and give them that hope of you deserve a life that's full and full of great things. And the fact that someone's exploiting you or taking you for granted or whatever, I'm going to rage against that with you. That is such a profound answer, and thank you for sharing that. <laughs> really, really powerful. And I know you're dying to share as much as you can about your work because it's already pouring out of you. Yeah. Um, you are an activist, Megan. You are out and about on the ground. You're speaking to young people. You're contending for them. So you, you get insight into where we are um, in various communities and as a society. Where would you say we're at in terms of our journey to becoming a freer, more peaceful at peace society um, and I suppose what's holding us back at this stage what do you what do you see out there um I think if you spend one night in a youth center you'll see hope and peace and joy and life um in any area in Northern Ireland and and beyond um but you'll also see challenge and you know policymakers are failing young people um statutory bodies are failing young people um and the mental health service in Northern Ireland is failing young people. Um, so the kind of, the challenge in that and, and, and the journey of peace, if we can't also accept our past and accept what's happened and stop being, you know, we talked about this a wee bit in our panel discussion, but stop being communities in transition and actually just transition our communities and actually say, you know what, this is what needs to happen and make those things happen. If policymakers, you know, took took the voices of young people seriously and actually made change, then I think we'd have a peaceful society. We'd be a lot further ahead. Um, I think it's very easy for me to go into a place of lack of hope and despair. And it's easy for me to say all the negative things that are happening. And there's, and there's, enough, there's loads of them. There's loads of those things happening. There's young people being unrecognized that are being abused exploited coerced for the gain of paramilitary gangs for the gain of um you know different key players and communities but you know when you're actually in a room with these young people they are bright they are intelligent they're capable they have a lot of the answers they are the expert on their experience and i think we we actually don't give that enough weight and we need, to, we need to be looking at those young people and not to put, and this is a really common theme, so things like climate change. So we say things like, okay, climate change is happening. Young people are leading the way. So then the onus is on young people. And oh, you can just lead the way, young people, and we'll all like meekly follow behind you. They need strong role models. They need strong adults um, to add their voice to the choir of young people who are calling for change. They need those people to, to model how to, like they don't know how to maybe challenge policy. So that's why we have things like 
politics in action, for example, we have organisations like that who are actually calling, um, helping young people feel empowered and their voice that is already, they're speaking because they're shouting about things that are happening, um, but their voice is then being amplified by people saying, this is the way we amplify it, this is how we do these things. And if we actually, you know, listen to those young people, we would then have a more peaceful society. So where we're at in the, at the minute, at the minute is... I don't, I don't know. I think we're in a very challenging place with the cost of living crisis, with all these things we're going to be facing over the next couple of months with the current government we have, the lack of government in Northern Ireland. Um, we're at a really difficult spot um, and it's, it's easy to be hopeless. It's rebellious to be hopeful. Yeah. And you're part of the Stop the Attacks group um, and, and you, you, we don't hear that many young people speaking out about paramilitary attacks. Why have you really started to do that and lent your voice to this? Um, because it's happening, because young people have a right to not be exploited. Um, and if we call things what they are, paramilitaries are grooming and exploiting young people. Um, they, are, they are infringing on their rights um, and they're breaching those human rights, the right to life, the right to feel safe, the right to not be exploited. Um, there's so many rights they're breaching. And the thing is, you know, people are, people are scared to say words like paramilitary. Um, but the, th the thing is, if we're all saying this, if we're all holding them, holding them to account, there's more of us than there is of them. And I believe that. I totally believe that. And, you know, we need to recognise that there's more of us than there is of them. And these young people have, again, have a right to feel safe, have a right to have a, a place of belonging, to be heard, to participate in their community at a real level. Um, and I, you know, I raise my voice about that because it matters, because it is what human trafficking looks like in our society, exploitation, coercion, um, you know, drug running, all of those things are happening through paramilitaries. So I need to speak against them. And the Stop Attacks Forum, I'm one person in a, in a group of very impressive people who are raising voices against that. Um, so it's so important. Um, and I think just to, to not stop talking about this, to always be thinking, you know, if you're looking at it from a child's rights lens and you're, um, you're thinking about the child as like the priority, not a priority, the priority, then it changes your whole perspective. So, yeah. You've mentioned loads of the challenges that you're seeing out there and that we've all been talking about this morning. Can you... Give us um, maybe some of the stories that have kept you going recently, maybe a conversation you've had with a young person or something that you've seen on the ground that, that's given you energy to kind of keep, keep going with this. Um, I think when we, so we run a programme that's eight weeks long and at the end of that programme, we celebrate the young people, we celebrate their participation, we say that you are an active ambassador against human trafficking in your community. There's a, there's a place, there's a sense of belonging at the end of that. There's, and, and it's not tokenistic. I think it can very easily be tokenistic, but um, what that means is that they look out for each other. Um, but I think a lot of the time what keeps me going is actually hearing their stories of, of challenge, of change, of... I said to my friend, my friend wanted me to do this thing, but actually I said to him, you know what, you're infringing my rights. <laughs> or like, because that's words I've said, or that sounds like coercion. Um, so they'll use that language against their parents and teachers and friends and whoever else, which I do encourage because I think adults need to be educated on these, this language. So I'm like, yeah, use it against adults. Um, but also then challenging them on what that looks like 
your parents asking you to do chores isn't them breaching your rights, you know? <laughs> what does that actually mean? Um, so, like, those kind of things, when they tell me what they've told their mates, that actually really encourages me and makes me think, okay, we're, we're getting through here where, you know, there's learning happening. There's learning happening in the conversation and the lack of conversation. There's learning happening in my modelling and in, in me saying, I'm so glad you showed up tonight. You told me last week you didn't want to come back, but you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Like, recognising that young person, all of those things. It's just, and it's, it's Youth Work 101, and there's youth workers in here that are far better youth workers than I am, but, you know, it's, it's those basic things, like just finding a place where you feel like, I, where I feel peace, belonging. Helping a young person find that, that belonging of, I'm so glad you're here. Like I really, I was thinking about you this week when I seen this thing on TV, or I was thinking about you when, you know, somebody said this, or, you know, actually caught, like recognizing their little behaviors and who they are as a person, as a human being, um, and helping them feel that belonging is really important. And that keeps me going because they keep showing up and I'll always show up for them, even if none of them come. Some weeks I've sat in an empty room and that does happen. Um, but I'm, I'm there and there's, there's a recognition that I'm showing up. Even if you don't show up, I'll show up. Because I want to test you a wee bit too. And, you know, young people do that sometimes to try and test you. But I, I'm going to show up regardless. Yeah. And we've had some, a lot of real conversations this morning. We've named some of the issues and challenges that are happening out there. How do conversations like this move outside rooms like this and how do we actually affect more change and see more people switched on to the reality of what is actually going on out there? The same way young people educate their, their peers, you have conversations about it. What are your dinnertime conversations about? What are you sharing on social media? Um, you know, what, what are you doing in your community to, to change things? Um, where, you know, there's, there's so many things that can be done. Um, but a big thing is conversation awareness. Awareness leads to action, and that action then leads to change. For me, I'm taking a lot of what was said um, today, and I'm going to go to all of the statutory bodies I am a part of and challenge, because that's my, my job, is I amplify the voices of those young people wherever they are, and I go into these rooms with adults who would very comfortably just ignore them, and I say, actually, this is an issue that's happening, we need to deal with this now. And this is how the young people think we should deal with it. They maybe give a solution as well because they, they're experts in their own experience. And some of their solutions might not be like feasible or viable, but you explain that as well to a young person being like, okay, this is not, this is not like, this can't be achievable right now. What can we do right now to help change the situation? But my challenge and my job is to be a voice for them in the rooms that they're not invited into and then open that door and invite them into those rooms and say, right, okay, you're an expert in your experience, let's go. Um, so that's what I'm taking away. Other people, everybody is going to take away their own thing that they can do. Um, we've got a lot of different professionals in the room who all together we can bring significant change, I think. We started the chat by you sharing about where you feel at home and at peace yeah. um, in various spaces. Can you translate that up into big picture for what your vision is for home for this place we call home, like what, yeah. when you look down the line, what's your dream of what you want to see for, for this place? I would love to see a place where, where society is, is equal, um, where the, your postcode or there you're from doesn't matter, that you get the same rights that are afforded to somebody else with a different postcode, that you feel safe to walk down the street, um, I would, love, I would love young people to be able to walk 
um, through peace walls if they still existed in my little idealised society without the fear of I'm going to get jumped or beat up or whatever. Um, even young people to leave their homes when they've been so frightened and afraid um, of what might happen to them. Um, I'd love a place where human trafficking is recognised, is dealt with, and um, traffickers and abusers are brought to justice, that they can, they can feel the full weight of the law, and the law has more weight as well in my idealised society, um, just so people feel safe. I think that's a big thing of like actual physical safety. Um, people don't feel that right now. Um, a lot of young people and a lot of people don't feel physically safe in our society. Um, and I would love in our peacetime society to look more, more inclusive, more open, more peaceful in the sense of being able to leave your house without fear of attack. Megan, thank you so much. And just to say, we love your zeal, energy and passion. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you. So thanks so much to you out there for listening in to this special episode of Peace by Peace. Hopefully a second series of the podcast is on the horizon. But for newcomers to the podcast, each episode finishes up with a bit of a reflection. And that's basically my attempt to craft each person's story into a poem based on what we've just heard. So here's Megan's. You've got spark and spirit. You've been emboldened by your own battles. You saw childhoods lost in Cambodia. Your eyes widened, your heart hurt. You came home and realised we can blind eye injustices here too. And so you showed up in youth centres and community spaces. You opted not to disappear. You battled to be very alive and to contend for the aliveness of others. You talk of this choir of young people craving change. You challenge policymakers. You speak of rebellious hope and call out those in gangs who exploit children. You name that for what it is, trafficking, and you rally people to speak out against it. There's more of us than them, you say. Please can we not stop talking about it until it and they have gone away. This podcast has been made possible through funding by the Social Change Initiative and our gorgeous soundtrack was composed and performed by the brilliant local artist Fierna. Last word to you, just to say thanks for listening to Peace by Peace. Hopefully it sparks some new conversations. I'll chat to you soon.